What's up, everybody? Welcome to the JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Strigling. I'm going to be your host. Let's get into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to the JKR Podcast. As you guys know, my name is Jay Shrigling. I'm the host. Today is episode number 22. So if any of you guys saw a few of my Instagram posts this past week, that now puts the JKR Podcast in the top 1% in the podcast industry. I want to give a little shout out to Anaya Jones. Saw that on her Instagram um, a little bit this week. Um, she runs the You're Wrong Sir podcast, works for Grady Sports Agency. I've talked a little bit about that in the past. But um, I saw this week that um, when people start a podcast, about 90% of people stop before episode number three. And then a remaining 9% stop before their 20th episode. So now that we're episode number 22, puts us in the top 1%. I mean, as some of you guys know, that's what I strive to do in everything. I strive to be 1%. I strive to be the best of of the things that I try to do. But besides that, today we've got Glenn McClain on this show. He was a college baseball All-American and played two years, well, was on the Xavier baseball team Division I for two years, ended up transferring to Indiana Tech, played four years there, was on some sort of All-American team all four years, finally making the first team his senior year. Ended up going having a few tryouts with major league teams, didn't make the cut, but he ended up going to play professional baseball for the Milwaukee Milkmen. Um, it's the independent league team, the best independent league there is in, in uh, the United States. He is from Fremont, Indiana, so close by to my hometown. Reached out to him a few years ago, kept in contact with him. Today we talk a little bit about his recruiting, talk a little bit about the Division One and the NAIA difference, a little bit about his pro experience, and then a little bit what he's doing now. So hope you guys enjoy. Let's dig in. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we have former professional baseball player Glenn McLean on the show. Glenn, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Pretty good. So I'm glad to have you on the show, but to start it off, could we get you to introduce yourself a little bit? That way the listeners can get to know you. Sure. Yeah, so I'm Glenn. Um, I'm originally from Fremont, Indiana. That's where I grew up and played majority of my ball. Um, I was at Xavier for two years straight out of high school. I committed to uh, be a catcher there. Had a couple surgeries, bounced back to Indiana Tech, played another four years in Indiana Tech, played one year professional baseball in the American Association with the Milwaukee Milkmen. Had an additional or additional hip surgery, decided to retire, and now I just work full time and hang out with my dogs. All right. Well, um, so like you said earlier, like you just said, um, you played those first two years at Xavier. So obviously going to a D1 program. You're, I mean, obviously a stud in high school, but could you take me through that recruiting process a little bit and what led Xavier to be your college choice? Sure. So, flashing back to, I think it was my junior summer, I'm playing for the Kalamazoo Maroons. Uh, I, what is it, like June 1st, I think, that all the colleges can, like, officially contact you. And I, I would say I wasn't, like, a super high recruit. You know, I was on PBR's radar, you know, high follow, but that wasn't anything as far as, like, you know, those five-star recruits and, you know, must-follows and stuff like that. So I hadn't really talked to a bunch of schools. Um, a couple D2 teams had reached out to me. St. Joe's, uh, Joseph at the time, I think they are actually closed down now. 
Um, but a couple D2s, a lot of D3s reached out to me. And I just kind of held off. And then in the fall, not well, early August, not necessarily the fall, we were playing in a tournament down there uh, in Cincinnati. And I reached out to University of Cincinnati and Xavier and just said, hey, uh, I'm playing in a tournament down here at the Thomas Runes. You know, here are my stats. I'm a catcher, yada, yada. Here's our schedule. So I visited UC and Xavier in the same day. But what actually happened, and I can distinctly remember it, we're playing the Dayton Classics. And it's a 2-0 count. And I look up, and I'm being videotaped by somebody, which I, at the time, I didn't know who it was. But it was uh, the pitching coach, Coach Hottie. And uh, hit a ball in the gap. Dude made an incredible diving play on me. But that's kind of where my recruiting process started was right there. He, he liked what he saw. We were in contact. Late August, he kind of reached out, came and checked out a game. Um, they had me back on campus in the winter for a uh, official visit. You know, we checked out a Xavier Musketeer game. Obviously, their basketball team's, you know, usually pretty good. And uh, it was around then where I kind of, decided this was what I wanted to go to academically, you know, solid academics. Athletically, they were switching into the Big E, so it was just appealing. And uh, that's kind of how I ended up at Xavier. All right. So what were all the college options you had? So what? how many schools offered you um, uh, the ability to play at the next level? You know, that's that's a tough question because I talked to, like I said, I talked to probably three or four D3s, and I think it was only one or two D2s. Um, obviously I'd emailed a bunch. I mean, I talked to a couple D ones, but most of them were just kind of like, come to our camp. So I didn't, I don't think I really had any other offers on the table. Um, I committed pretty early. I committed, like I said, that late, late summer of my junior year. So right before my senior year. Um, and I think part of it was, you know, wanting to go D one. And the other part of it was, it was just a nice sigh of relief to kind of get that off my back. But um, yeah, at the time, I, I think Xavier was the only team that had actually formally offered me. Um, and even then, it wasn't necessarily like a big time offer. It was a preferred walk on spot. And they they helped me out a little bit academically on the back end, if that makes sense, because I originally yeah. told them no, I was like, sorry, I can't afford to go to Xavier. And they were like, well, let's see what we can do. And they bumped up my academic package by a little bit. So I, I didn't necessarily receive uh, athletic money, but they did help me out a little bit. Yeah. So did you, you don't, you never ended up playing a game at Xavier, correct? Correct. I just, I went through all the hard stuff. I went through both falls and then ended up having surgery. I think almost identical dates. I think it was like February 10th and like February 8th or something. Um, and back to back years, 15 and 16. So I never actually competed, uh, but I did go through all the fall stuff, you know, the inner squad games, stuff like that, but nope, never actually used a year of eligibility while I was there. Yeah. So what was that two year experience like there? Um, well, I mean, if you take away all the injuries, I'm sure it would have been great, but at the time baseball was my, my stress relief. And at the time, you know, while I was there is kind of my stressor because obviously D one's highly competitive, kind of a dog eat dog world. And, um, I will say that it changed my mental, my, um, it helped me realize that there's more in life than just baseball, because at the time, I think that's all I cared about was baseball, baseball, baseball. So um, it was a blessing and a curse. Obviously, I would have loved to play instead of, you know, be sidelined for two years. But at the same time, I think it kind of helped me not only mentally mature, but physically mature a little bit. I had just turned 18, I think, f- like 15 days before I moved into Xavier. I graduated high school at 17. So I was a baby. I think I was 165 pounds or something. I was pretty little and then <laughs> went to Xavier and put on some weight. But um, obviously, there were two long years 
uh, just being sidelined like that. But, you know, like I said, it, it kind of helped me see that there's more to life than just baseball and kind of gave me a little bit of time to physically mature when I recovered from those surgeries. Yeah. So you said you're 165 pounds coming out of high school? Yeah, around and you there. Still, you still hit like what, like 20-some home runs in high school? Yeah, I don't know how. I look back and I, I don't. I don't know. Man, that's, really. that's, that's crazy. I was not <laughs> – yeah, I – I don't know. I have no clue how I did it. Yeah. So is that, was that pretty much what led you to transferring or what, what led you from transferring to from Xavier after those two? Yeah. So this is actually a pretty interesting story. So let's see, it was going into my third year as Xavier. Um, You know, I'd been there for two years. Xavier comes to me and they're like, Hey, we're pretty much pulling your preferred walk-on spot. Like you've been here two years, you haven't played. We're not making you leave, but we pretty much need to make sure like you can play. You're pretty much filling up a roster spot. So I'm like, okay, I see that. So originally I was going to stay at Xavier for the third year and continue my academics because obviously I was already halfway done. Yeah. And transfer, either try to play again or walk on my fourth year or then, you know, get healthy and transfer out. Because at that point I had not played in two years and I didn't even know if I was still being good at baseball. So I think all it was like early August, like August 10th, I was arguing with Xavier's financial aid, trying to get more money. And then uh, Benny Clark, who is he uh, he was at um, Kellogg Community College of Michigan. We had played together on the Maroons, was transferring to Indiana Tech. And he called me. He's like, bro, you should transfer to Tech. And the first time he told me, I kind of laughed at him. I was like, no, I'm not going to NAI school. I don't know anything about the NAI kind of thing. And then uh, he put me in touch with Coach Huddy and Huddy called me. And then Kip called me and they wanted me to transfer in immediately. And I was like, uh, so, you know, I I took a visit, talked to my mom about it. And I was like, I mean, financially, it makes sense. It's going to save me money. And if they're willing to take the risk on me athletically and I could possibly play in the spring, you know, then might as well try. So at that point, Tech had taken me on as a first baseman rather than a catcher. So that's kind of how that happened. I I literally thought I was going to go back to Xavier like August 10th and then August 16th or something, I was transferring back to tech. It was, it happened pretty quick. Yeah. So there was, there was no other schools like you thought maybe you could go play. It was pretty much just straight from Xavier to Indiana tech. Yeah. I, you know, like I said, I wasn't planning on leaving um, just because I'd already been halfway there. Xavier is a private institution. I didn't know how many of my credits would transfer. And, you know, at that point, it was kind of like I, my degree seemed more important than baseball for me. So I was like, you know, two years, get a degree from Xavier. So, you know, Coach Guggins had signed my release form, but I, I hadn't been in contact with anybody because I was like, I'm not going to call anybody and then put my foot on my mouth and not even be able to throw a baseball kind of thing. You know, at yeah. the time, I think I had just came back from labrum surgery and I wasn't even throwing and... Um, I just finished up my wrist rehabilitation. So it was like, I didn't even know if I'd be able to throw a baseball normally. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, obviously a great decision for you. I mean, what was it? Like you were all American your senior year. You were part of like all American teams. your fresh, well, not freshman year, but your first year. But, um, so I'm going to assume that you liked Indiana tech, but what was like the main difference between a D one program like Xavier compared to the NAIA? Um, so that's a very good question, and I get that question a lot. And I would say probably the biggest difference that I noticed is that, like, the really – I mean, I don't I want to sum me, but, like, the rat tail was just bigger than a high school as far as, like, you know, D1, 
anybody really had the talent necessarily lead or the, the talent necessary to kind of win, if that makes sense. But in the NEI, there's just some teams that aren't as developed. They're kind of newer programs. So like, you know, D1, there's about a 95% chance you're seeing a guy who's going to be sitting, you know, low mid nineties, you know, for a Friday, Saturday guy. But NEI, it was a little bit different. You didn't see that velocity. You saw people who knew how to pitch a little bit more. They might only throw 82, 83, but they're going to throw three, four pitches for a strike. Uh, offensively was just a little more scrappy, I guess. And this is, you know, a pretty small sample size because obviously as Xavier, you know, I, I watched the home games. So just yeah. home games. So, but it, I just felt like, um, you know, like the rat tail, like the bottom of the Big East Conference, you know, like all those dudes still had some studs on their team compared to like many I, the bottom of the whack, you know, they just, they're, they're developing programs. So, you know, it was one of those things where you just never knew if you're going to win compared to, you know, in the whack, it was like, okay, like we should be able to handle them pretty easily so i'd say that's probably the biggest difference uh, i mean the, if you look at the top of the nai teams i mean they have three four or five guys who you know are all pumping some some 92 93 94 and you know one through nine can rake so it's it's definitely way more competitive than when i thought it was going to be at first um not that i thought it was going to be a cakewalk but i just didn't know anything about the nai really at the time so uh but that's that's definitely the biggest difference is that rat tail and then it's just a little more of a a little more of like I don't want to use like the the term grinder, but you know teams teams are going to be a little more disciplined. They're not going to rely on you know that raw talent as much as the, yeah. at the D one level. Yeah. So I mean, like I like I said earlier, you're a part of an all American team, at least um, some sort of all American team each of your four years. But your senior year, you were the first team all American. So what was it like uh, working through that, grinding through that, and finally getting first team All American your senior year. Yeah, so obviously my freshman year, I was just happy to be playing. Um, so definitely not my my best year statistically, but you know one of the most fun years for me because it was like I'm not, I you know I wasn't even supposed to be there kind of thing. So um, I still think if you look at the stats, you you'd question why I wasn't an All American or a first team All American my my sophomore year, hitting 457 with. I don't even know, 100 and something hits. But it just goes to show that there's, uh, you know, usually somebody who's better than you <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, the the cap off the senior year with the first-team All-American and making a World Series run, uh, you know, it was, it was the icing on the cake. So, that was definitely very rewarding for me. Yeah. So, what, at what point did you realize that you had a pretty good shot at playing pro ball, at least either independently or even maybe with a major league organization? Um, it wasn't until my junior year when everyone kept asking me if I was going to get drafted and I was like, no. And then, uh, I started having some workouts on Texas campus in the fall. Uh, the Blue Jays came, the Yankees, Rangers, there's a couple teams. I think the Reds might've been in there as well. Um, and that was all in like the fall of my junior year. So my sophomore year, I didn't think about it at all. And then it was kind of like that summer. I knew it was kind of a pivotal summer for me to have a good year in the TCL. And it was probably like the end of the TCL. I think I was on like Baseball America's, I don't remember, top 10 prospects in the TCL or something. And that's kind of when it started. I was like, well, maybe I could do it. And then uh, junior year, having all those scouts kind of on cam- or yeah, on campus and talking to them a little bit and stuff is when I thought, you know, it might happen. <laughs> but a uh, funny story, and I don't want to throw the Reds under the bus, but I actually thought I was going to get drafted after my junior year, I got invited to a Reds workout and I go to this Reds workout. It was down at, um, 
oh my gosh, I can't remember what it's called. It's in Dayton. It's it's not Cincinnati. Very beautiful park. Prasco. Is it where the the like the Dayton Dragons play at? It, it's a uh, Prasco Park. Okay. Uh, very beautiful place. So there's I don't even remember. It was like an open tryout technically, but I got invited, and I think there was like man, I don't even know. There's there's probably a couple hundred people there, and you you ran your sixty and you threw across the diamond or did your defensive work, and then they make cuts. And if you made the cut, you got two rounds of 10 BP on the field, and then you live at bat. So, uh, you know, ran my 60, did my defensive stuff, whatever, and I'm the first dude to hit in the live at bats because they call you by a number. You're not by a name. I was like number 602 or something. And, of course, I'm like, nice. I'm the first dude to hit. It's with wood bats. You know, I haven't hit in a live game with a wood bat in so long. (laughs) <laughs> and this dude's throwing, and I mean, it's probably 90, 92. He looks good, and he falls down 2-0 for, to me, and I'm like, I'm just going to take a G-hack, and I actually go yard. So I was like, oh, my gosh. I 100% just got drafted. Like, it's, you know, my mind's scrambling, and uh, they were like, yeah, we'll be in touch. A great job. You know, Ben will reach out. Ben was the scout. I'll reach out to you, and then never heard a peep from him again. So I have no mm-hmm. idea what happened, but that was <laughs> kind of like my uh, my downfall, I guess. That was that was the only time I 100% believed that I was actually going to get drafted yeah. after that. Yeah. So what were some of those workouts like in the fall at Indiana Tech's campus? Could you take me through like what the days usually were with the yeah, camp? Yeah. So um, kind of like your stereotypical, you know, you run your 60 yard dash because obviously, you know, Kip's trying to promote tech. So they may have been there for me and Bandor at the time at Bandor, but, you know, he would have a couple guys who we thought maybe draft, you know, draft worthy, like work out, probably five or six of us. Um, you run your 60, and then outfielders would throw, you know, second, third home. Infielders would do their thing, you know, throw across, turn two, slow roller. Uh, first base was kind of weird because they want to see you throw from first to third. Uh, so it's a little awkward because they want you to field like deep in your position and throw it across the drive. And they're just trying to see arm strength, but it's just yeah. like your footwork's so weird because you never make that throw. Um, obviously catchers behind the plate throw, and then you take your BP on the field. So it wasn't anything crazy. Um, but you know, kind of like your normal showcase stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, did you have any, did you have any scouts like coming up to you after games your junior year or was, was that a thing? Um, I don't think any actually spoke to me after a game at any point. I definitely would see them there. Uh, I The only one that I could think that I may have spoken to at any point, either before or after a game, was uh, the Reds guy. I don't think I don't think any of them actually came up to me after a game. Yeah. So you, you said that most of those workouts were your junior year. Did you have any of your – like the fall of your senior year? Um, I don't – think so i think i had uh, a yankees guy come check out like a practice in the winter of my senior year um but i think at that point they had already know who i was kind of like seen me play a little bit so i know i know there's a couple of them that actually came to the games and watched but i don't think any of them actually came like on campus and did like that little showcase thing that we did in okay the fall. all right yeah but um, I think the last time we spoke, you said that you had a workout with the Arizona Diamondbacks after the 2019 draft. Yep. So what was that process like? Yeah. So his name was Bill Brick. Um, he reached out to me and I go down to the showcase. It's kind of your same thing, you know, run your 60, you know, throw, yada, yada. At this point, I'm 100% strictly a catcher because I think that was my 
most projectable position as far as playing at the next level. I hit for too much contact to be a first baseman. I don't think I necessarily had the power that they liked in that position. Uh, so, you know, was showcasing primarily a catcher. And his name was Bill Brick. And he actually told me that, you know, they really liked me. He has to go to his superiors about me. And I'm like, well, look, I, I'm, you know, I went over. It was near Chicago, but it was in Indiana and worked out. And then I was supposed to go to Kokomo and sign my Milkman contract because they were playing in Kokomo at the time uh, because the new stadium wasn't built in Milwaukee. So I was like, well, look, man, like I'm supposed to sign with the Milkman today. I just came to this workout to, you know, pretty much send it. And he was like, well, look, I'll tell you what, like you go down and play and we'll make sure we come watch you play and we'll get you signed kind of thing. He, he gave me the cliche, you know, people are dozens and dozens of kids are missing the draft and you're one of them. That's what he told me. So that was kind of how that went. You know, I, I kind of put on a filter, you know, you hear that kind of a lot, I guess that makes sense, you know, Oh, you're one of those kids. But, um, so I, I went and did that workout and then I went down to Milwaukee and I wasn't even supposed to play. I was just down there to sign my contract and they actually activated me that day because their third baseman at the time, his name was uh, Rosario. He hurt his knee. So they're like, well, you'll just be an extra guy on the bench. So I went straight from that workout, straight on the Kokomo. They activated me, and then they pinch hit me in, like, the seventh or something. And I hit a double on the first pitch I saw. But it was definitely a, a long day. Yeah. So the the Milkman contract was already pretty much um, pretty much already processed by the time you were going to this tryout with the Arizona Diamondbacks, correct? Yeah. So Gary McClure, who was the head coach, um, the – head manager or whatever at Milwaukee at the time actually reached out to me before the draft even started. I think he contacted me like Sunday night before the draft started on Monday or something like that. It was the day before the draft. And he was just like, I just want you to know that like we have a place for, I think, I think he knew that I probably wasn't going to get drafted. Uh, but I think he wanted to be one of the first ones in line as far as offering me an Indian yeah. ball contract. Um, because the USPBL had also reached out to me at that point. They hadn't actually offered me. I told them I was waiting to see how the draft goes, but they said they wanted to talk to me after the draft. So I knew at some point, you know, I, I it wasn't as stressful because I knew I was going to be able to play professional baseball once the draft ended. Um, it was just kind of where. Yeah. So what were you surprised most of it, like the entire draft process? Um. I mean, from a personal standpoint, I would say I was most surprised uh, about how much politics go on in the draft. Um, but I was, you know, I, I didn't know if I'd get drafted just because of my age and my surgery. So I kind of doubted it. But I kind of assumed that I'd get some sort of free agent contract, you know, sign me for yeah. a thousand bucks to give me a plane ticket. Um, but I definitely there's definitely some politics that go into it. Uh, I, I don't want to take it away from anybody who, you know, got drafted. But there's just some guys who um, not that they shouldn't have got drafted, but I don't think they should have got drafted when they did. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't I don't want to throw shade on anybody, but there's definitely some politics um, and that's just baseball. But that was probably the biggest thing that surprised me. Yeah. So you said a little bit earlier, you talked about the day that you signed, but could you like go through in detail a little bit and take us through that day that you signed with the milkman? Uh, sure. So I drove over, stayed in, I, I wish I could remember what it's called. Um, stayed the night in West Indiana, went to that workout for the Diamondbacks. And then I think I drove, it was either three hours from there down to Kokomo. Um, I got to Kokomo. I was literally in just normal street clothes. <laughs> I was not ready to play. Uh, only because they told me they weren't going to activate me. So um, they get me a locker. 
you know, kind of met the guys. It was obviously kind of an awkward situation to begin with because we weren't necessarily playing at our home field. So that was already kind of like weird. Uh, but, you know, met the, met the managers, uh, met the guys. They gave me some gear, a couple shirts, some shorts. You know, I got my hats. Uh, I got to pick out my bats, whatever I wanted to swing. Um, so kind of a funny story on that day, you know, Kip at Tech has had me, has me so branded, you know, to get the games early and, you know, you stretch here, you hit here, you throw here, you know, you take IO and every game pretty much started around 7.05 and I went down to the field at six, you know, to get ready for the game. And there's not a single person down there except for another dude on my team. His name was Taisei Fukuhara. He was from Japan and he was the only other one down there. So that was that was pretty funny. Uh, I tell that story all the time. How was there wasn't even an umpire, no coaches. So uh, that was kind of a, a shock to me, a little bit of a culture shock. Yeah. But, um. So yeah, when the game started, obviously it was you know a little weird because in indie ball you're kind of seen as an enemy if you're the same position as somebody when they come into you because it's like okay, someone's coming in, someone's getting released, kind of thing. Yeah. So. Uh, I would say tensions are tensions are not, I don't want to say like high, but you know, there's some tension in there, especially because, you know, you never, you could be taking the spot of someone's best friend. They might not be the same position as you, but you know, you just sent their best friend home. So it's definitely a little awkward. Um, and they do, the milkman did this funny thing where they would call you by a different name until you got your first hit. So I was Kyle for one pitch. So obviously it was nice to see if my first pitch and yeah. an RBI double and get that kind of off my plate. But um, definitely rewarding, uh, definitely relieving to get that one off, but it was, uh, you know, you kind of have like this glamorous picture in your mind and, you know, indie ball isn't necessarily that. So, so you were talking about bats. So an independent ball, how does that work? Do you, do you have to go out and reach out to companies to get your own bats or does the team provide them? Yeah. So the, the team actually provided them for us. Um, and I don't know if that's just cause it was the American association or necessarily how it worked, but. They had uh, old Hicks and KR3s, and there's a couple of different um, options you could choose from as far as sizes and different kind of knobs and weight distribution and stuff like that. So I went with the old Hicks. I actually swung a majority of my own wood for the year, um, but obviously on long road trips, <laughs> it was nice to have some backup. Yeah. So what did, like, what did the average day look like for you as an independent, independent ball player? Sure. So... Um, depending on the night before, because that's kind of like your, your difference maker. Um, if you traveled and you just got home, you might've got home at like four or 5.00 AM. So you're usually sleeping in, you know, noonish, 11 noon. Um, if you played at home, you're probably home around 1130. So you're probably up a little bit earlier. So I'd probably say I probably got up between 10 and noon, depending on the day before, you know, made sure I got my eight hours of sleep, you know, shower. Well, depending on what time we played that day. If I was up early enough, I'd go to the gym. Um, they gave us membership to the Y. I'd go to the gym, come back, you know, eat some lunch, shower, get cleaned up, probably head to the field around, I want to say maybe 2.30-ish, 3-ish, you know, for some some batting practice. You get there, you change, you kind of hang out. There's some food in the clubhouse that you can kind of uh, snack on. You go hit BP, you come back in, you know, there's usually some more food for you to snack on. You kind of hang out before the game, uh, get ready. I, I always went down to the field around 625 most of the time for 705. I was usually down there about 35 minutes before the game started. So I get my cleats on, uh, stretch, get warmed up, throw and get ready to go. But 
that's uh that's about it yeah so did anything surprise you during your time playing professionally just how people would walk out at 655 for a 705 game yeah so some <laughs> there's some players that don't even don't even go out and stretch and stuff they're just go to the go straight to the clubhouse go to the lot of the dugout and they're good to go yeah they'll walk out they'll throw five balls and they're good to go and I think those were the guys who had been playing affiliated ball for a little bit and you know I think part of it was they just knew it's such a long season they didn't need to wear down their body for a hundred games straight and you know spend the rigorous time stretching most of those guys who did that they would usually be in the training room um before the game and would be heating you know stretching out foam rolling kind of thing so they want to do as much like uh active warm-up it'd be a little more uh passive but yeah, it was it was definitely impressive. Yeah. So you ended up only playing one season independently. So like what led to that decision to only play that one season? Yeah, so at the end I knew my hip was going um towards the middle beginning of my senior year at Tech. And um when I played professionally for the Milkman, it was only getting worse, only getting worse to the point where there'd be times where I'd be in the on-deck circle looking like I'm doing the stanky leg because my hip would get stuck in place. I'm trying to get it loose. Uh, So I have my labrum and two bone spurs cleaned up in that fall of 2019. Um, Got my big boy job at Perry Protect, the same place that I currently work now. Uh, Around the same time I had that initial hip surgery, but it was kind of in between, like, do I want to go back and try to play indie ball? Or is it to the point where, you know, with my fifth surgery, you know, is it time to kind of hang them up? So, you know, I thought about it. I did some workouts. My hip actually recovered better than I could have ever wished. Um, and then at that point, I got traded to the New York Boulders. And it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to go to New York, but, you know, being traded down a league to the Frontier League necessarily, I was like, you know, that kind of limits my chances a little bit of actually getting picked up. So it was kind of a combination. And then obviously COVID didn't help anything. I think COVID actually canceled the Boulder season last year. So I wanted to play it anyways. Um, okay. But it was kind of a combination of, you know, to the point where my age, my surgeries, you know, and kind of wanting to get some work experience. Yeah. So you ended up going throughout this entire, the two draft processes, your junior, senior year, signing with the milkman, all the tryouts without an agent or an advisor. So what was the reasoning on that? Um, I didn't think that I would be drafted in a high enough position to where an agent would really be advisable. Um, only because, I mean, my junior year, I'd already finished my undergraduate degree at the time and I was in my master classes my senior year. So, you know, money-wise, it wouldn't have taken much to sway me. And, you know, with my age and all my surgeries, I just didn't think that I was in a point where I could really negotiate and, you know, attempt, like, have yeah. everyone go to bat for me, if that makes sense. Like, hey, you know, you know, he's proven he can hit, you know. Well, yeah, but he's 24 with four surgeries. <laughs> and yeah, um, that was kind of it. We talked about it. And, you know, we just kind of thought, like, at this point, it just – I, I didn't think that I was in a position where an agent really could have benefited me enough. Yeah. So, that, so that's you, kind of you have really, from. you really had no regrets on, on that decision. Um, no, because I don't know what it would have been like if I would have. <laughs> yeah. So, so as, a, as, Oh, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Go ahead. So as a collegiate player who ended up playing professionally, like what advice would you have for like an aspiring agent trying to get into baseball? Um, from an, agent perspective or from well from an athlete's perspective okay i was gonna say from an agent perspective did did, did i I say agent you did 
Oh, my bad. That's my bad. I mean, as a collegiate athlete. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my, my biggest thing is, first of all, take care of your body. Um, I definitely played with some injuries because I was trying to fight for playing time. And it definitely kind of caught up to me in the long run. Obviously, there's kind of a fine line between that because, you know, if you're hurt, you're hurt. If you're pretending to be hurt, you can't make the team anyways. So there's kind of that gray area in between. Um, but, yeah, definitely take care of your bodies. Go through the warm-ups. You know, make sure you're doing your cool-downs. Do the extra stuff because it's it's going to – Coach Googans is ever always just say, can't make the team when you're in the tub. And, I mean, obviously, that's – you know, was the story of my life at Xavier. So, and I, it's not that I don't think I took care of my body there. It's just that I don't think that I knew how to take care of my body. Um, obviously we had great strength and conditioning coaches there, but, um, I was definitely not doing the extra hip stuff on the side and, you know, doing all the cool down stuff and taking ice baths and all that stuff. And it, it, it wasn't necessarily negligence on my part. I just, I hadn't, like, I'd never done any of that stuff, and I didn't know how important it was. Um, but definitely, definitely that, uh, even as if you're not a catcher, your hips, <laughs> I can't tell you how many of my friends complain about their hips because, you know, you sit in class, and then you sit on a bus, and then you go play baseball, and then you get back on a bus, and your hips, your hips definitely take a beating. So, yeah, um, I, I definitely think that, you know, take care of your bodies is one. And then another part is, is just enjoy it. Uh, you got to remember that I don't know the exact percentage, but, you know, there's a small percentage of people who actually go on and play collegiate baseball. It doesn't matter the level. Um, and I know D3 teams who could beat D1 teams. And I know NAI teams that, you know, could beat D1 teams. So the level, I, that was my biggest regret in high school is I was so caught up in what level I was playing at that I kind of overlooked the financial part of it. Um and my academics definitely saved me there because if I would have been a little more uh, unstable on the athletic side, I definitely think I would be in a, in a definitely a worse finance, worse financial situation. But my academics kind of carried me through. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would definitely just say don't get too caught up in the level. If, if you're good enough, it doesn't matter what level you're at. You're going to attract some attention. Um, and I, I think even if I was at tech, as an 18 year old and I did what I did, I think it would be a different scenario minus all the surgeries. Um, so I, I definitely, I'm an advocate of, it doesn't necessarily matter what level you're at. People get drafted all the time. Obviously a larger percentage come from, you know, the higher level JUCOs and the higher level D ones. But at the end of the day, you'll, you'll thank yourself for not breaking your bank and putting yourself, you know, in tremendous amount of debt to play at a D one or try to walk on somewhere. when you have a scholarship offer elsewhere. Yeah. So I got one last question for you. So yep. now that you're not playing anymore, what are you doing now? Yeah. So I'm currently a sales analyst manager at Perry Protect. Um, that's my normal day job. I do lessons at the Plex South currently. And then uh, I just started my own supplement business. So. Okay. Well, what's the supplement business called? You got like social media that I can shout out for you. Yeah. You yeah. Social- so I have an Instagram. It's actually no BS supplements. Um, we, Right now, the only thing that we have to market is a pre-workout. Uh, we had six canisters for our first our first um, wave, and we actually sold out in two days. So shout out to my to my friends and my supporters. So um, it's it's relatively new. Uh, we we like I said, we just came to market with that pre-workout literally last week. So all right, but yeah, no BS supplements. Um, and then besides that, you know, you can catch me in the gym. I still play a little video games here and there, and then I hang out with my girlfriend and my dogs. All right, well. There we go. You got anything else for me? Uh, I do not. I just want to thank you for your time and the little interview. 
Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, you were one of the you were one of the first people I thought of when I started the podcast of someone I wanted to get on the show. So I'm glad we got it done. Yeah, I appreciate it. And thanks for being flexible on the time, man. I, I I'm finishing my master's right now, and they want me to write papers every single week. Oh, 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 no, you're good. So what's your master's in? Uh, MBA in management. Okay. So, like, do you plan on working for Perry? Is it Perry Pro? Is that what it's called? Perry Pro Tech. Okay. Do you plan on working them for like a while, or what? Like, what's your like dream? Yeah. So, um, I've actually kind of I started Perry as a branch administrator, um, and I tried to leave. I tried to go into a finance manager at a car dealership and you know work my life away, but make good money. And they came back and offered me the position I'm in right now, and that's a sales analyst manager. Um, and I really enjoy what I do. Uh, we just switched into Salesforce, which is a CRM. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but a lot of businesses no. utilize it. And I kind of became like a, a subject matter expert on it. But they actually are switching me into a logistics coordinator um, for Fort Wayne. So it seems like they're getting me a lot of operational experience um, in hopes. I, I would say that in, for me in hopes to kind of a take on more of a managerial role down the road. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad I got to go, got to know a little bit more about you on that. But uh, like I said, thanks for being, uh, thanks for coming on to the show. Glad to have you and hope you have a great day. Hey, you too, man. Thank you. As I always like to say, that's another great episode in the books. Glenn, he's a great dude, has been from the start ever since I met him. Learned a lot about him today. Learned a lot about the Division I NAIA difference. I've always been a little um, curious about that. But make sure to tune in this Friday as we have Bryce Windham, Cubs utility prospect on the show. Um, Going to interview him about a little bit of things in his career so far. Um, it'll be the last interview for three weeks. These next three weeks, we got solo uh, solo episodes with just me. Uh, first one next week is going to be Major League Baseball television blackouts. After that, we're going to talk a little about Major League Baseball contracts, probably get into Rizzo, Freeman, uh, comparing those contracts, comparing why some teams aren't extending other guys. Uh, break it down into the Fernando Tatis extension, little things like that. And then the last solo episode will be a little bit about branding within baseball, which is big with me because I want to be an agent. That's one problem I see in Major League Baseball is the marketing. It's been getting better the past few years, but that's one thing I feel like I can make a big difference in once I finally get certified here in a few years. And then that that last solo episode will talk a little bit about the name, image, and likeness stuff that's supposed to get started July 1st in a few states. These will be a little bit shorter episodes i'm gonna assume 10 15 minutes don't want them to be super long i know sometimes listen to one person talk for a pretty long time that kind of gets kind of boring so i'm going to make them shorter shorter them up a little bit these next few weeks hope you guys enjoy them make sure to follow us on instagram and twitter uh facebook as well um if you want to give us a five-star review if we're giving out if i'm giving out good content make sure to give us a five-star review if you have any recommendations or reviews for me make sure you can text me you can dm us on any of our social medias uh i just want to know what i'm doing good what i'm doing bad but besides that hope to see you guys friday as i said we have bryce windham on the show so check it out